Welcome to the No Meh Movies Podcast. How many times have you heard a movie is all right? It's average. It's just okay. If you ask your friends if you should see it and they say, eh, I'm Davey Barris and he's Darren Cross. And on this show, we'll break down and review these movies and decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad and whether or not you should watch them. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. for a movie to qualify as meh it must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter or 4 and 6 on IMDB and the movie we chose this week in honor of Sonic the Hedgehog coming out in theaters we had to go find a video game movie to do and we chose 2018's Tomb Raider which scores a 6.3 on IMDb, but a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, making it a meh movie. Now, spoiler warning, spoiler warning for Tomb Raider. I don't know, maybe for the Tomb Raider video games too. Who knows? Who knows how much lore we're going to get into today. (laughs) Darren, in case it's been a while since they've seen it or they've never seen it before, what is 2018's Tomb Raider all about? Our main character... Laura Croft and her, we learn that her father left her seven years ago and never returned and is assumed dead, but she discovers that he was on a adventure mission to find this Japanese, like, uh, empress, former queen, former queen, queen Japanese yeah. empress, queen, who supposedly if unleashed, would kill the whole world. Bring destruction to, to, to the world. To the whole world. Yeah. And he knows that there are people trying to find it, and so he felt he needed to find it himself so that other people could not, so he could keep it hidden. She discovers this is going on, and she decides to try to go find him. And an adventure ensues. There you go. There is the synopsis for Tomb Raider. Now, Darren, first question we ask. This movie is considered a action-adventure film. Did the movie do what it was supposed to do? I said absolutely yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Bold stance. Yeah. Tell me more. There was a tremendous amount of action. Like, very few non-action scenes, actually. It's true. That's, uh, that's true. <laughs> and I did feel like I went on an adventure. I feel like I, feel like I went places and, did, and along with our characters. So, yeah, there was no chance to be bored in this movie. And it was, I found it very entertaining from start to finish. So I would say that it did do what it was supposed to do. The pacing was pretty good. I'll agree with you there. Like between the action, there was just enough downtime to kind of explain the plot and explain what was going on and to build some character. But then you get right back into the action. It, it really doesn't doesn't let up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, as far as being a video game adaptation? You know, we're always searching for like someone to break through in this genre, right? Everybody, Warcraft came out a few years ago, and that one, no, I mean. Uh, Mario Mario Brothers is like the greatest example of how bad this can go, right? <laughs> so everybody's trying to adapt video games and figure out why won't it work on the big screen. How did you feel about this adaptation? I feel like 
Tomb Raider to me was sort of always kind of like female Indiana Jones, right? So there's a adventure or quest that needs to be fulfilled, something you're searching for, a person you're searching for, and then just there's other people that are also looking for the same thing or want to stop you from finding what you're trying to find, and so there's conflict. So I think that's relatively easy to adapt opposed to other video games. And the fact that what the adventure consists of can be pretty broad, right? It's not like Tomb Raider only looks for carcasses of kings. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like specific. <laughs> It'd be a weird game, but yeah, okay. Right, yeah. So it's not specific. Like it's any sort of, if there's something that to be found, then you could place Lara Croft in that world and it would work, I think. Yeah, I think one of the hard parts and one of the things they keep doing is they feel like they have to tie in video game elements into the movies, right? To make it, to somehow connect it to fans of the video game. They think if they don't capture the fans of the video game, then they're not going to have an audience for these movies. And it's usually where they end up failing. Like there's a lot of scenes where you're like, Maybe it's jumping around in a tomb or it's solving a puzzle or it's, you know, an obstacle suddenly thrown in your way, which is something a video game would do because that's that's how you get from beginning to end on an adventure video game. You constantly have to be overcoming obstacles. When they do that in a movie, it seem it, it might seem a little uh, not realistic. And I think that's where you tend to lose general audiences. They're like, like, show me an... If one of these movies would just like take the inspiration of the character and just do a fun story with it, do a fun adventure with it, and don't throw those video gamey elements into it, then maybe, I don't know, maybe it worked better. This movie didn't do it too bad. There were definitely two or three scenes that, and we'll get to them, where I was like, like that's straight from a video game. Like that's something you would have to do in a video game. Mm-hmm. So, But they do do that in like... Indiana Jones also. And there, there's non-video game movies where there's puzzles that need to be solved. That's true. I Maybe it's it, it's the linear fashion that you like have to do it. Like you have to go step by step in a video game. So in the movie, the character also kind of has to go step mm-hmm. by step. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like Indiana Jones seems much more improvised, right? Every, all his solutions, he really improv. Yeah, they throw obstacles in front of him. But what he's doing like doesn't seem obvious. It's the only indie would think of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like, okay, this is the obvious obstacle placed in front of me. Now I have to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was I was curious how this movie did compared to the Angelina Jolie versions, which came out in the early two thousands. Laura Croft Tomb Raider. That's if you're searching, that's the difference. This is just Tomb Raider. Those were called Laura Croft colon Tomb Raider, and actually. Uh, the original one from 2001, th- these made about the same amount of money. This uh, this one had a much stronger international audience. It only made, apparently only made just under $60 million at the domestic box office, but $273 million worldwide. Uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider made 131 domestically and 273 worldwide. The sequel in 2003, only $65 million domestically and 157 worldwide. So the worldwide audience really dropped off, and they got them back. So that's interesting. So uh, I guess audiences did uh, come out for this one. And it might have had something to do with the fact that the director 
and the lead are both European, and so maybe their marketing was more was stronger on that part in that part of the world than it was in the states. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of those actors, let's take a look at who your top performer is for this movie. And let me ask: not a very big cast this week to talk about here. Uh, we've got our lead playing Laura Croft, the t- titular character. I love that term. I have no idea what that means. The title character. Oh, yeah. titular. Titular character. Alicia Vikander plays Laura Croft. We have Dominic West, who plays Richard Croft, her father. We have Walter Goggins, who plays Matthias Vogel, the villain. We have Daniel Wu, who plays Lou Ren. And then the couple, the lieutenant, mercenary, Chinese kid, like there's not taxi driver. It's pretty much... We're pretty much those four. We're pretty much picking from those four this week. Yeah. Who do you got as your top performer? Before I say that, how do you get to be a lord? Is that royalty? Yeah, I believe oh. a, 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 it's above a sir. So you no, become a sir, sir, like a, Sir Elton John. Right, but that's not. He's the. You don't have to be royalty to be a sir. You can be knighted. You could be anybody, and if you're knighted by the queen, then you become a sir. But as lord. Do you have to be like born into a you know a family of? Tell me right now. Hang <laughs> on, I'm reading. <laughs> okay, you can inherit the title. We're given a life peerage. The queen can also make someone a lord. She bestows. Oh, okay, good. Good to know. There's a third route. You simply buy a legal professional presumed title from elite titles. At 195 pounds. <laughs> you buy the title for 195 pounds. Or under UK and international law, you have the right to call yourself and be known as anything you like, as long as you're not doing it for fraudulent purposes. So you could just call yourself a lord. Oh, that's awesome. This is from elitetitles.co.uk. Oh. How to become a lord. <laughs> They're trying to sell you their product, I see. Upgrade your lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> lord Darren Cross. <laughs> Has a nice ring to it. It does. One day you'll make it there for only 195 pounds. <laughs> what is that in dollars? <laughs> Once you figure it out, you'll become a lord. <laughs> um, All right, who's your top performer? I... Not surprisingly, went with Alicia Vikander. She did a really great job. She, in the the very emotional parts, she did didn't overact. She gets her ass kicked a lot in this movie, and I thought that she acted those well, how you would like in real life. So like, even when she's kind of like winning, like uh, one scene came to mind where when she, that uh, guy that was sent out to find her. And he finds her and attacks her, and he she ends up killing him, which is not something she's done before. We it seems, and we assume yeah. she's like, even though she's like winning and drowning the guy, like she's like very emotional, emotional and kind of screaming sort of. So like it's it's very intense, and I thought that you know, a normal person in that kind of situation would probably act the same way if you've never killed someone before. It's just like the act of doing it would be very emotionally intense and then all the action stuff I, it's she didn't seem out of place she seemed very in the in the role and it's like yeah i could believe this girl 
is this tough, super athletic. And then she was soft and and like caring when it was called for. So like when she had moments with her dad and talking about her dad and those sorts of things. Like it was the the emotional side of it was uh, was pretty solid too. So yeah, I really I really liked her. I this is the first movie I've seen with her. I think. Yeah, she made a good Lara Croft. Look, I'm gonna agree. She's the top performer. Yeah. yeah, it's it's especially in something like this. We've said it before with some other movies recently. You're basically living or dying with that main character, and uh, that's what's happening. You know, for a video game movie like this. Sure. I will say it's interesting that Angelina Jolie in the first iteration of these movies seems to be having a lot of fun with everything that's happening. Like, even when people are shooting at her and she's making daring escapes, she's smiling, she's laughing about it. Like, everything seems easy and fun. And I think that is a little bit of the, like, the video game character, like, trying to portray a video game character a little too hard. Yeah. Because, yeah, when you're playing a video game and you're shooting bad guys, it's fun. Like, that's kind of how video games are designed. And when you're running and jumping and... If you land every jump or something like that, it's fun. She did a good job here, Alicia Vikander, of making it seem much more realistic, like bringing a lot more emotion to the things she was doing, a much more wider range of emotions to the things she was doing, as you were saying. Um, yeah. And I think you just, you just made me think that there, maybe there should be a distinction with this genre is, are you making a video game movie? Are you making a game a, a movie based on a video game because if you're making a video game movie then maybe you should get a pass for like for like what you're saying you know for for like the angelina jolie style yeah but if you're trying to just make a video a movie on, based on a video game it should be more realistic like it was here i think yeah all right i i like that i like that distinction she is she's she's had a really good career so far. I mean, you may have seen her in I know her from Ex Machina, The Man from Uncle, uh, The Danish Girl. She was in that was a popular movie. She was in Jason Bourne that that sequel that came out in 2016. So she's had a pretty strong career so far. She's fantastic in Ex Machina. Great movie. I didn't realize that was her. Out. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah. And so yeah, so I mean, it's the right time for her to get this kind of like franchise type character that she could run with. In theory, she could run with for a couple of movies. Yeah. We'll see what ends up happening. We'll talk about that a little bit, but yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, definitely the top performer. I think the only other person I would give credit to uh, maybe as in the running for top performer would be Daniel Wu, who played the boat captain, Lou Ren. He was good as this like friendly compatriot to her like and as kind of in those action scenes where he's kind of leading the other workers to safety and fighting back he held his own as far as the action goes which is not surprising like he's done a lot of action in his career uh he was most recently uh, in the tv show into the badlands he played the title character Sonny, and he's done a lot of movies in the 2000s here and uh I would have liked to see more from that character because I thought you could have developed. Well, I'll I'll save that because it's coming up in my sequel. There, <laughs> there's stuff to develop there, and uh, so yeah. So if he had more screen time, maybe I could have given him my top performer. But I wanted to give him a shout out. How did you feel about 
uh, Walton Goggins' performance as Matthias, our, our villain. Walter Goggins is a great villain actor. Is it Walter or Walton? Oh, Walton. You're right. Yeah. Walton Goggins. He has the potential. One day he will. He's had great characters uh, in the TV show Justified and stuff like that. He's had great villain characters. I still think we're waiting for that like iconic villain character from him. In this one, he jumped into being villainous way too soon. Like he could have played the like friendly, like I'm now I'm trying to help you kind of role and then betray her. Yeah. But no, they just jump him into the, he's like, by the way, I killed your father. And it's like, <laughs> oh damn, okay, you you're the villain. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, even in uh, – we're going to compare this. Get ready because we're going to keep comparing this to Indiana Jones. But even in Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think the other archaeologist's name is Belloc. And even he he's doesn't – he walks that line like with Marion where he's like, you know, be my girlfriend. Like I'm not a bad guy. I'm just an archaeologist trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. Like, you know, even when he locks Indy and Marion in the tomb, he's like, you know – Sorry, guys. Just business, you know. <laughs> Don't mean anything by it. Like, you keep thinking that maybe he's not that terrible until the yeah. end you find out he's... Oh, no, he's terrible. Yeah. They didn't do that in this movie. Yeah, he was terrible from the from the beginning. Yeah, what'd you think? <laughs> I, I, He does make a good villain, but I, I agree that... It, and, and maybe it's, you know, it's not him. It's more the writing that they could have changed around the story a bit to, to make it a little bit more subtle. Well, Darren, that takes us to successes and failures. Where does this movie succeed? Where does this movie fail? What do you got for us this week? Uh, for success, we talked about it a little bit, but I said that the action was a good success. It was a lot, a whole lot, but it was it was good. You had like some chases, which were fun. Obviously, I had a lot of shootouts, but then you know you get your which is more in line with the video game. You get your tombs crumbling and trying to avoid being crushed by <laughs> rocks and things. <laughs> I was surprised they waited so long into the movie to like enter a tomb, to have any tomb action. Yeah. Like, may, I don't know, maybe set something up at the beginning and show her dad doing some tomb raiding. I When that's part of the... When, when the movie's called Tomb Raider... <laughs> I mean, how it was it was at least an hour and a half, maybe an hour, even an hour and forty five minutes until we got into that tomb. So yeah, so that I said action, but since you mentioned it, that was one of my failures on the other ah, side. Ah, okay, okay. That I did. I don't want to say it was it was rushed. I don't think the tomb part was rushed. I think it was okay, but I think you could have gotten away with being in it longer. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe they could. This is some of my early nitpicks. Maybe they could explain how that giant extension ladder or all those uh, glowy sticks got down there. <laughs> they would have spent some time down there. <laughs> those things just appear. Yeah, got a lot of pockets. <laughs> Whole lot of pockets <laughs> for forty foot extension ladders. Yep. <laughs> that thing folds down into one foot. You just carry it. <laughs> Uh, some of those action scenes, uh, I kind of gave ex- successes and failures to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was the boat crash. So Lou Ren takes her on his boat. They end up in the, what do they call it? The Devil Sea. And a storm comes upon them. They crash into the rocks. It's a pretty intense scene. 
Yeah. Now, what makes this interesting is the director of this movie is Roar Uthog. And Roar Uthog, I, which I may not be saying that right. I apologize. The last big movie that he directed is a Norwegian film from 2016 called The Wave, which I stumbled upon the trailer one day, and I was like, this looks really good. And then I sat down and watched this movie on like a random Sunday a few summers ago. And it's a fantastic disaster movie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's a Norwegian film. It's subtitled. And it's, it's, it's like a really tight, contained story about this little village and this fjord. Like, it made me want to go to Norway, first off. Like, totally <laughs> made me want to do some European traveling. So he knows how to do this, like, storm, chaos, like, boat crashing kind yeah. of set piece. Like, that's that's right up his alley. I, I think we're going to see some more stuff from him. I, the Wave and Tomb Raider are his two biggest releases. And so I, I think I think we're going to see some more things from, from Roar. Great name, Roar. Roar. <laughs> so, yeah, so this scene, there's some things I gave success to. There's some things I gave a failure to. First off, not safe boating. Darren, <laughs> Darren's been boating with me before, and my family has a motto. The family motto is that safe boaters are fun boaters and fun boaters are safe boaters. <laughs> and Lou Ren is not a safe boater. No. <laughs> there were no life jackets. He just went right into that storm. No warning. Didn't give Laura a warning at all. Right. He's just like, oh, yeah, I figured that wave would wake you up. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah, some of the some of the running around the boat was interesting. Uh, the visuals of the actual storm were interesting. And then uh, this is one of those video game set pieces where the boat slams into a rock and it kind of like caves in the side of the boat. But she's got to get to the bow of the boat where he is with the life raft. So she like jumps up onto the railing above her and like monkey bars over the crumbled boat and crumbled rocks. And I'm yeah. like, that's a video game thing. You'd be <laughs> running around and there'd be a little cut scene where the rocks would crash into the boat. And then it would like come back to your first person view and it'd be like a symbol on the screen, like press X to jump up or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and you'd have to like time your X, you know, punching the X button as the arms swing and catch the <laughs> monkey bars. So yeah, but uh, I saw, I, I gave a success and a failure to that yeah. scene. Yeah, I also put it as, that's, I guess it, it's kind of a fail, but just you, you mentioned a little bit, it was like if they know that they were approaching, like he knows he seemed to have a good idea of when they were going to get there. Wouldn't he like be like, all right, when we get there, you need to be awake because we're going to need more manpower. <laughs> Was his plan just be like, I know this is going to be hard, but I'll only wake Laura if I really get in trouble. <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem like the most logical uh, approach <laughs> to surviving. <laughs> I mean, there's only one wheel on the boat, Darren. What's she supposed to do? <laughs> right. huh? Stand out there with an oar in case we crash into some rocks. You yeah. can push us off. Yeah. Here's a boat pole. <laughs> uh, my other one I gave a success and a fail to was uh, Lou Ren's escape plan. And the words of Tony Stark again, I've used this for a couple of weeks. Not a great plan. Not a great plan. So he basically says to her, ready? And then turns and hits a guy in the face with a shovel. Yeah. That's, that's his whole escape plan doesn't like pass word to the other prisoners that this is going to happen doesn't nope. give laura a wink and a nod just ready bam 
And so she's like, all right, I guess I'm running. Yeah. Okay, we're running. We're running now. <laughs> Not, yeah, it, it, it creates a cool action scene because we get to the river scene, um, which made me think of when she was at the top of the ledge, made me think of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid where they're mm. trapped. And the only thing they could do is jump. And he's like, I can't swim. And he's like, hell, the, the fall will kill you anyways. <laughs> and then the plane, uh, again, here's where successes and failures come in. The old rusted out plane was like a cool thing to like catch on yeah. because it created more and more like increasing drama. Yeah. There is no way she wouldn't be completely sliced up from that rusty ass plane. Her hands should be cut up. Her arms should be bleeding like crazy. There's no way you're grabbing onto that rusty ass plane and not just bleeding profusely from yeah. your hands. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, so those were my two set pieces where I agree the action was fun, but those scenes also had some failures in them. Yeah. I'll just say the nitpick that I had for that scene since we're on it was get the hell out of that plane. <laughs> She's she so she initially she grabs onto the one wing, right? And then she gets up there and she realizes, okay, the wing's breaking. I need to get to the other side of the plane, or at least to the main part of the plane. But then she jumps into the main part of the plane and she's like, Oh, I gotta cut these things off. You should just be nowhere near that plane anymore. Just completely away from it. <laughs> I mean, we all knew where the scene was going. Yeah. Even, yeah, yeah. even Laura's got to know. Yeah. This thing's tumbling over yeah. the other side of the waterfall. Yeah. All right. What else you got in successes and fails? I'll, I have one other with the action scene stuff since we're on it was one that I didn't like. You can't hold on to a parachute bag when that thing deploys maybe if you're like i don't know the strongest man in the world you could hold on to that bag but there's a ton of that's a huge jerk that's why you wear it as a backpack no that's <laughs> you're thinking of a movie with steve martin <laughs> oh wait sorry <laughs> yeah that's why you wear it like a backpack because there's a huge jerk and you're you know, it's not going to pull your limbs off, but you can't just hold it. It doesn't not just as a back. You you not just as a backpack. You also like strap strapped. it around yeah, your waist yeah, yeah, and yeah, chest. Yeah, and, yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking about that, <laughs> and she's just like, "No, I'm just going to cradle it." <laughs> still, but, still good action, but your steers like. <laughs> I want to see a scene where Schwarzenegger has to do that. Yeah, movie. it's easy. You just grab on and hold on to the backpack. <laughs> Look, I could do it with one arm. <laughs> it's a pretty good Arnold. <laughs> this is a, f- a fail, but maybe they'll they left it this way on purpose, and they're going to explain it in future films. Which I, from what I read, they are planning on making a second one. I thought it was confusing, and and maybe they should have waited to reveal it in the next, the start of the next movie. But so we're kind of left with thinking that her dad has all these investigations about companies he owns. Yeah. Which is, conf- which, it's, so is it like he, it might be the owner, but he's not really in control. So, cause it's, yeah, I think that's a little bit of, I mean, they own a lot of companies. That book was big. Yeah. But it's like he he has all these secret boxes of research that he's done about companies he owns. I mean, Bruce Wayne gets into this a little bit with Wayne Enterprises. Yeah, where like, I guess that's true. He, he always ends up finding out that Wayne Enterprises is behind 
all the bad things happening. Tony Stark deals with this with Stark Enterprises. Always, you know, you find a box of missiles in the bad guy's headquarters and it says Stark on the side. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. I think it's just a... But yeah, it's it's a plot convenience that's used a lot where yeah, uh, yeah. the villain always ties back to the hero somehow. Sure, sure. So I guess I, I don't I'm not mad that they did it. Maybe uh, they're just planning to explain it more in this in the next movie because it was just a little confusing. You're like he should have just shut down the company. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, he says that like we have a job to do, right? Like we have a responsibility and we have a job to make it sound like Crofts have been protecting the world for generations. Yeah. From but themselves. You, yeah, why not you're right. Why not just dissolve the company and get yeah. rid of all the money? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so maybe they'll explain it in the next one. We'll see. Well, I got some problems with her dad. Speaking of uh Lord Richard Croft, if that is your real name. <laughs> I got some fails for him. First off, why does he need to hide his research from Laura? Laura. Laura? Laura. Laura Croft, not Laura. You're right. Laura. <laughs> Laura Croft. Why does he need to hide his research? I don't know. Maybe he felt like she was like too young to get it or didn't want to expose. I don't know. He can expose her to all the tomb raiding he's doing, but can't expose her to the corruption in his company. Like, yeah, I feel like this is something that, especially after their, there's no, there's never any backstory on the, her mom and what, where her mom and what happened to her mom or anything like that. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. think after her mom dies that like he would, she would be the only one left for him to confide in. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason to hide any of this from her. It doesn't, I mean, you could have done the little bit of like, I want you to grow up with a normal life, so I'm going to insulate you from all this, which they try a little bit. He's like, which university did you go to and stuff like that, right. like hoping that she would have lived a normal life. But if you're expecting her to like take over the Croft family business and live in Croft Manor, like how would you not clue her into everything going on if you're, bre- you know, uh, grooming her for this? Right. Yeah. And then his uh, his puzzles. Got to say, Richard Croft's puzzles, not that hard to solve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the, the, my final resting place, the first letter of my name or something like that, right? Like she very quickly walks to the Croft family tomb and pushes on the first letter of his name and the door swings open. Like <laughs> he did not, any one of those people could have gotten that letter and been like, oh, it's his tomb. Okay. <laughs> and then the the Chinese cryptics or codexes Japanese I think are Japanese or Chinese she goes to Hong Kong right yeah maybe but then it's a Japanese queen is the I don't know You're well whatever. so I, I was going to save this for my lesson but she actually she has some connections Himoko has some connections to uh, Chinese dynasties, Japanese dynasties, Korean okay. references. So, uh, must be just kind of a- Asian part of the world in general. I think that she's yeah. tied to a lot of different stories and myths and legends, and yeah. But yeah, <laughs> she solves them very quickly. Maybe, and maybe they're trying to be like, oh well, she solves them so quickly because she's also a Croft. And she's just smart. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but like they don't show her like thinking about it. She's just like turning that box and it just pops open. Yeah. Like anyone could have just turned that box. And the same thing with getting into the tomb, into Himoko's tomb. 
she just spins those big dials in the door until it opens like there's no deducing the symbols or anything like that and like getting the right combination she's just turning big dials they never tell us what she's thinking yeah it would be, i guess it would be helpful if they said what she's thinking so yeah so i mean even though we're we're kind of harping on Laura's ease, you know how quickly she solves things I'm still blaming Richard he created most of those puzzles <laughs> so that's who I'm giving my fail to it would be cool if maybe they did like a we were hearing her inner thoughts while she was trying to figure these things or out I mean if, if the villain's standing right there just explain it to the villain be like hey idiot this is what you missed <laughs> obviously this goes with this symbol duh Oh, the other one was the clock hands uh, that uh, Lou Ren solves like really easily. He's like, yeah, yeah they're hands on a clock. <laughs> All right. Anything else in successes and failures? The other fail that I had was I don't mind some like conveniences or unrealisticness for the sake of moving the movie along, but sometimes they're too blatant and you're just like, ah, come on. So... When she decides, after she finds out their father is alive, she decides she's going to go back to the camp to try to get the satellite phone, possibly steal the book. She knows exactly where the camp is from where she's at. She just went, fell in the river, took a huge ride along the river, then like parachuted, and then... She's somewhere else, and then it's nighttime, and she gets attacked, and then they were running and fighting, and then she gets to her dad's cave where he's been living, and then she just knows exactly how to get right back to the camp, and I'm just like, ah. she can make it on a sprint, like she didn't have to stop to catch her breath. Or no. uh, apparently they were maybe she went all the way around the whole island, so she's really close again. Like. I- the only thing that maybe I could give it to is if on those like cardboard boxes that Richard had tacked up with notes on it, if he had mapped out the island. And she looked at it. And she had looked at I it. See. That's the only yeah. possibility I can give credence okay. to. Okay. All right. <laughs> you got any others? Yeah. All right. So my last success. Uh, all right. There's going to be a lot of nitpicks in here, but stay with me. Okay. So the final tomb scene. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a success. Once they've opened it once they've opened it and they've basically once he says you have to open the door yeah and we have to go down everything from here to when they when she climbs out i'm gonna give a success to however within that a lot of random henchmen show up who i was pretty sure were dead they were shot in the fight (laughs) like all of a sudden four henchmen are there ready to go with backpacks that have glowy lights on them and stuff like that that was convenient and then uh, that ladder comes out of nowhere. The room with the falling floor, I didn't really understand how that puzzle worked. You just kept trying different combinations of colored stones until one of them opened the door? Well, it was... The color of life. Yeah, which I guess is green. And so you had to... You had you have to know your primary colors, Davey. Yeah. <laughs> you have to know when you combine certain ones what colors they make. I mean, I get it, but again, kind of an easy puzzle to solve. Why were they trying to take Himiko's body out of the tomb? Just take the whole coffin. Yeah, that was weird. Like, what were you going to transport her in? 
And you, as soon as you open the lid, you expose her to the elements, and the body's going to start decomposing. Like, that's how coffins work, yeah. especially tombs like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A- any any expedition would know you just take the coffin. Yeah, it was weird that they were going to take the whole, bo- remove the body, and ca- who was going to be responsible for carrying that? That would suck. <laughs> it was a cool twist that her the reason she would bring death to the world is because she was a carrier of a disease yes that was an interesting twist that she wasn't super powered supernatural it, it was a real threat to the world like yeah. you know basically the bubonic plague getting out you know yeah. yeah yeah and spreading uh so yeah so it was a real threat and i will say in the final fight with walter goggins it was a great dick punch <laughs> like they set that up that fight choreography up and then swung to a low camera angle and like squared it up with Walter Goggins groin so that she could give him a dick punch and then I'm glad that the whole like headlock thing from the beginning paid off like she had a tap out in the beginning of the movie but this time she was able to do the hip toss and yeah. flip him over yeah. I like when things like that pay off so uh, like I said there's a lot of nitpicks in there but overall that scene was a success yeah the only thing I will say is that it was pretty dark. They could have, in most tomb movies like National Treasure, Indiana Jones, there's always some plot convenience to light the room up. Like if you just stick your torch in this oil, like suddenly all the lamps light or something like that, right? You know, there's always a plot convenience yeah. of some kind. Or there's like a shoot of light coming through from a, you know, a hole in the cave that shows the outside. Yeah, I could see that. There was no, there was nothing in this. All they had were their little LED glowy lights. Yeah, yeah. It, it was nice once they got to the actual coffin. They put them up on the wall, and then then you could see really well where they came from. Who knows? <laughs> Only Himiko knows, apparently. But yep. yeah. So yeah, so uh, as many nitpicks that are in there, I'm giving that whole scene a success. It was a fun scene. It was. That's all I got for successes and failures. All right, it is time to see what those rotten tomatoes critics had to say those those rascals over there on rotten tomatoes how you feeling this week you feeling fresh or you feeling rotten i'm feeling rotten right now so let's go with rotten. <laughs> okay this is interesting from alan Schurstel from the village voice he says vikander invests herself in laura croft and the filmmakers, unlike the ones Jolie got saddled with, frame her with awe rather than lust. Now, if only they could bring some of that awe to the tombs. Ah, so he was not that impressed with the awe of the tomb. Would you say the the booby traps, the the grandeur, the mystique of it was enough for you? I would say it was enough, but I I do agree that they could have done more. Could have made it seem more like i don't know grand or you know like mesmerizing of some sort but i didn't think it wasn't enough what about you yeah i mean they had some interesting rooms you have to go through right however there there were some things that made no sense like that giant 40 foot pit like why why was that there there's always a pit <laughs> there's always but there's always a way to cross it like <laughs> Like an invis- invisible bridge that you yeah. can't, can't see until you throw sand on it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a leap of faith, Darren. It's true. Yeah. The spikes coming up from the ground were interesting, but completely random. 
I don't know. Your other movies probably set up the booby traps a little better. These these did feel kind of random. Yeah. The yeah. tomb was interesting. There was like once you got into that main chamber, there was that like house built into the side of the mountain and Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I don't know. There's enough awe to it. I disagree with Alan. <laughs> yeah, take that, Alan. All right, let's see what else we got in Rotten Reviews. Okay, this is perfect. This goes right to the heart of what you were saying about making a video game movie or a movie based on a video game. Tina Hasanaya from Globe and Mail says, if your movie makes people want to play the game instead, that's a sign of deficient filmmaking or an extremely overpriced advertisement. Yeah. It's not trying to make people go out and buy the Tomb Raider game. It's trying to be a movie. Well, so there, I'm pretty sure there was a video game released in conjunction with it. Oh, was there? <laughs> well, there was definitely a game released in 2018. I can tell you that. Whether it was tied into the movie or not, mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. definitely a game released. Did it make you feel like you would rather be playing the game than watching the movie? No. No. No, I wanted to see a movie version of it. Yeah. Yeah, I was enjoying it's it. kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. We disagree with Tina, too. All right, let's take a look at the fresh reviews. Josephine Livingston agrees with me from the New Republic. She says, I longed for Daniel Wu to return to the screen whenever he left it. (laughs) I don't know if that's a fresh review, but I agree with Josephine. He's he's dreamy. (laughs) He's fun. Charlotte O'Sullivan from London Evening Standard agrees with you. She says, Vikander's expressive face is a godsend. Whether being throttled by a goon or torn away from a loved one, this stricken Delara feels like one of us. Ooh. Did she feel more... Did she feel real? Did she feel like a real character, real person to you? I thought she felt more real than Angelina Jolie's Lara Croft. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, I think maybe it just... Angelina's like too much having too much fun as if like what she's doing isn't challenging she's like oh i do this all the time which she (laughs) whether you do it or not it doesn't make it not challenging okay here's an interesting challenging question for us Mm. anthony lane from the new yorker says tomb raider stuffed though it is with curses vaults and locks that cry out for secret keys is not really about a legendary quest or family honor it's about alicia vikander so, Darren, I will ask you, if another actress was playing this role, do you think, would you feel the same way about the movie without spoiling how you actually feel about it? Or do you think you feel this way because Alicia Vikander, she was our top performer because of her performance? I don't know. It's tough because I feel like I'd have to see it with somebody else. Let's say let's just say the approach that the director and the producers took and the writers took to this version of Lara. Mm-hmm. Like, w- was it the actress or was it the style, the way they did the movie? Do you think? I think. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with her. So, I mean, I, I wasn't watching. I didn't watch the movie, and was like, oh, I really wish they would have casted so and so. She would have done way better. But uh, Anthony Lane, I don't think you can really fault the director and the producers for that. Like, for nailing the casting, that's part of their job is to yeah. nail the casting. Yeah. So I don't think you can say that the movie is any less because it's all about the lead character. Right. I mean, it's 
I guess it's kind of what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> Means they did a good job. Yeah. All right. Especially in a movie where the whole thing revolves around, like we like we said earlier, like that's going to make or break this movie because she is 95% of the screen time. So. All right. A weird bunch of critics this week. I, uh, but we agree with Josephine Livingston. More Daniel Wu. All right, Darren, it is time for us. Speaking of all this lore with Laura Croft Tomb Raider, it is time for us to pitch sequels or prequels or cycles or whatever you got. What would you do if you were the producers at Warner Brothers and you had your hands on the Laura Croft franchise? I think I thought about this when I was, um, when we get into. Richard Croft's cave or cave and he has all the maps on there and he's talking about how he gave them like false clues and like deal this stuff. I think it'd be a fun movie to watch that. Like, so you'd have to change it a little bit where let's say that they know that he's alive because they think he's dead, but let's say they know he th- that they know he's alive and it'd be a fun movie to see like, He'd be like a like a cartoon character that like it's like Wiley e. Coyote trying to catch the Roadrunner, <laughs> but in this sense, you know, and they don't know what's a fake lead or not a fake lead, and so because like you know maybe he strings them along and gives them real information and then doesn't and all this stuff, and so I thought it'd be a fun movie to see sort of like a chess match of a of a movie between them trying to find something and him trying to stop them from finding something, but they all live in the same place. In- interesting. I-, I agree would make it interesting. I'm not sure you could build a whole movie around that. Yeah, you could. Oh. Okay. 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> would it would it be Richard and uh what was uh Walter Goggins' character name? Matthias Vogel? Would it be the two of them? You want the two of them going at it? Yeah. Okay. Would it be on this island, or is it like a prequel? Is it like a different time at a different island? I was thinking you could. It would start not on the island, but it would end on the island. Okay. Because they're like, like essentially just sort of exploring the the rival archaeologists. So one of them's kind of in it for not so good reasons. Another one's in it for good reasons. Mm. See, that's why I think going like way back. And showing them having this rivalry okay. all their lives would right. be interesting. We'll go further back and end on the island. All right. Deal. There we go. Deal. Darren's going prequel or uh, story yeah. within a story. <laughs> I'm going forward with a sequel. Here's what you do, Warner Brothers. Thank me now for this with the Lara Croft franchise. You go Fast and the Furious with it. <laughs> Just make 10 of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fast and the Furious found something that worked around Fast Five where they're like, we can do the biggest, most ridiculous, unbelievable stunts possible, and people will keep showing up to this movie. In fact, more people will show up to this movie. And if we go even bigger the next movie, more people will show up to this movie. And that's what Lara Croft needs. 
it, those set pieces we said were some of our favorite parts of the movie, right? The the plane falling off the side of the waterfall and all these daring escapes that Lara is always making. The tomb, you know, collapsing. Let's do this. Let's blow it up and blow it up big. But what Fast and the Furious did right is for some strange reason we care about Dominic Toretto and his family. You know, <laughs> we care about Letty and we care about uh, Ludacris's character and. Uh, you know, for some reason, we care about all these characters, even though they're ridiculous. Like, as long as you put those actors in it, The Rock, you know, we're, we're going to keep showing up and watching these movies. So let's do this with this, right? Obviously, Alicia Vikander is our lead. Mm-hmm. Keep Daniel Wu in it. Like, make Daniel Wu, like, this badass international boat Sa- captain, drunk kick, boat captain, sidekick, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bring in more likable actors. Find other young, likable actors that you could bring into this franchise and, like, blow out the cast to a crew of, like, you know, six to eight people that we really care about. And they all believe in Lara. And they all kind of, like, are on her team and on her side. And they go around stopping, what was Trinity? Is that the evil organization? Yeah. And they go around the world trying to stop Trinity. Like, I think you could do it and just get insane with the set pieces. Like, <laughs> the craziest tombs you can think of and the craziest, like, jumps and puzzles and, yeah, and crash planes and cars and boats and <laughs> do the whole, just go insane with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Am I selling this hard enough? And the budget for the most recent <laughs> Tomb Raider movie came out five hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could have something fun. Yeah, that's my pitch for a sequel to Lara Croft Tomb. Actually, not to Lara Croft Tomb Raider. That's my pitch to a sequel for Tomb Raider. All right, Darren. That takes us to quick picks. It's time for our nitpicks of the movie. It's time for those last little details that we got to shout out. What do you got for me this week in quick picks? Just listen to your father and burn the box. Just burn the damn box. Okay, here we go. <laughs> First off, no. No, no one's going to be like, Darren, I have uncovered the greatest mystery in the history of the world. It's in this box. <laughs> but it's not safe. I want you to burn it. You're going to be like, no, I'm looking in the box. <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't look in the box. I'd probably look in the box. I don't know if I would go there. (laughs) Okay. Here's the mistake. Here's the real mistake with that. They completely stole this plot line from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like, literally, the plot line of that movie is Indy's dad has a journal, sends him the journal so that it's not, doesn't fall in the enemy's hands. And he he goes to rescue his dad and brings the journal, and it falls in enemy's hands. (laughs) And he even, like, Sean Connery even, like, gives him a scolding and he's like how could you be stupid enough to bring the journal all the way here yeah yeah he does the richard does the same thing to her he's like you didn't burn my journal you didn't burn my notes (laughs) you brought them here and now they have them what are you thinking (laughs) it's literally the plot line of last crusade you're right you're right what's your first one all right let's go all the way back to the beginning of the movie the fox hunt Hmm. Now, clearly, I have a couple of nitpicks from the beginning of this movie. First off, why is she MMA training? Like, it shows us that she can handle herself in a fight, but there's other ways to do that. Like, they never once tell us her motivation for wanting to be an MMA fighter. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Then, so okay, so she's a bike courier for money, fine. 
she never delivers that food, by the way. <laughs> or they don't show us her. They don't. We have no idea. No idea what happened to that food. <laughs> they never tie up the storyline with the son who works in the restaurant, and their parents want him to ask Lara yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he could join the team. Ooh. Yeah. And then the fox hunt. Like, it's a cool way of showing us that Lara is badass, and she can handle herself in a chase. But the move she does, where she jumps up on the back of the truck to like stop the paint can trail. Yeah. It's a terrible move. Like, it seems smart at the time. Like, oh, they won't know where I went now. Like, oh, I'll really confuse them. But up until that point, they were all behind you. You knew where they were. They were all running behind you, following the paint. As soon as you end that trail, they all split up. Now, you don't know where they're coming from. It's true. As long as that paint keeps dripping out the back, you know that they're going to be behind you. You know where to look for them. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, she gets cut off like three times by them. Yeah. She did that to herself. Did Bad. look like fun though. You want to try it? <laughs> yeah. Think the city of Cleveland police will care? Nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> Next one I had was, when you kill a guy, you got to take his supplies. You don't know how long you're gonna be out there fending <laughs> for yourself. It's true. I know she saw her father, or at the time we didn't know it was her father, but she saw someone watching her, and she decided to follow him. But you kill a guy, you got to take his stuff. Not only that, when you shoot someone with a bow and arrow and you run as as you're running, as you're sprinting and you hit him with a bow and arrow and you keep running, you got to grab that arrow out of them. You've got to take those arrows back. Yeah. That's part of being a bow and arrow fighter is you got to keep recovering your arrows. Yeah, you not, not, don't got endless arrows. Yeah. It's almost like these people have never played video games before. <laughs> and speaking of that, so this is a good segue into my my next one. They must have unlimited bullets. Every t- the bad guys every time anything happens, they shoot. Yes. Something it's happy true. happens, shoot. Sad, shoot. Danger, shoot. <laughs> just up in the air, just up in the air. Maybe they're just constantly airdropping supply crates. <laughs> Which if it's that easy to get to this island by helicopter, why are they marooned on this island? Yeah. He made one phone call and that helicopter came exactly to the spot where they needed to be. Yeah, I guess he said something like, oh, they won't pick me up until I found found it or something like that. I don't know. They could be running day and night shifts in and out of that island all day. And if you have a satellite phone, can you only call one number? Could you just call someone else and be like, hey, Bob, you have a helicopter, right? Can you can you come? Bob's helicopter's here. How can we help you? <laughs> yeah. Airlifting in and airlifting out. We do it all. <laughs> yeah. No Meth Movies Podcast brought to you by Bob's Helicopters. <laughs> it's the, it kind of went from like old timey to like sort of like New York. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next one you have? The next one I have is a classic quick pick. This is, this is literally why... This segment of the podcast was created. When she goes down into her dad's office, which apparently we can assume has been abandoned for at least seven years, she turns on that camcorder and it plays back no problem. It powers up and plays back absolutely no trouble. There's no way that battery would hold its charge for seven years. Absolutely not. You would at least have to plug that thing in. You would notice that. 
And then the tape recorder, too. She flips on the tape recorder and it plays. Yeah. Those AA batteries aren't good anymore. <laughs> They're all corroded. Come on. <laughs> Classic nitpick. Yeah, yeah. How about that disease? That is a fast-acting disease. Yeah. I mean, oh. s- seconds. I I mean, I that's, can That's got to be worse than the... I mean, that's worse than bubonic plague. Yeah. It's the worst thing ever. I guess that's why it's buried in a tomb. I mean, how how did the world survive? And it, it's not airborne. It's through physical contact. Yeah. It's through the skin. Yeah. I guess that's why so many people died. But it was just, yeah. You just you usually usually when you're dealing with like uh, biological things in movies, they don't happen that quickly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, good nitpick. <clears throat> All right, my next one. Lou, this isn't a nitpick. Lou Ren is really day drunk. He is. Have you ever been so drunk that you've just toppled over a railing? No, fortunately, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like if you live on a boat and you drink that much, you would know how to navigate your boat drunk. You wouldn't be falling (laughs) over railings, right? You'd have a weird balance, a weird sense of balance on your boat. Yeah. Actually, that makes me think of another thing that I, I forgot to write down but um I would have liked to hear maybe they could have done a short scene on another short scene on the boat but I would have liked to hear his relationship with his father because it sounds you know it sounded like they kind of the way that they developed a relationship I think that probably both of their fathers probably developed a little bit of a relationship too when they went on that journey fair enough we needed more uh Daniel Wu in the more. movie, like I said. Need more. Yeah. All right, my next one. Man, I got a lot this week. That that mercenary, that henchman, how the hell did he find her that quickly? How the hell in all that jungle? And she came down the river. She perished. Like you said, just like how she found the camp, how did he find her all the way across the island? Yeah. Just sleeping in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Impressive is not the word I was going to use. And then pretty impossible. And then it seems messed up. He, she kills him in a puddle, drowning him in a puddle. I know. It's that's, bad, that's a bad way to go. Yeah, it's dark. That's dark for a movie that you're probably aiming towards slightly older kids. Like probably trying to get that twelve to fifteen year old audience in there. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely the probably the darkest part of the movie was yeah. Yeah. Both literally <laughs> and metaphorically. <laughs> the last one I have is it took Lou Ren and the other mercenaries or the other um workers forever to get back to the tomb. There's like that scene they show him and he's like, I'm going back for Lara. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to come with you. And then they all decide they're going to come with him. Well, yeah. So when Walter, <laughs> when Walton Goggins was on top of her and like had the pickaxe to her throat. Yeah. I was waiting. I thought yes. he was going to show up and shoot him. Like I was waiting for a gunshot to go off. And then that look of like, who got shot? Well, where, where to come from? And then, you yeah. know, he'd be standing there heroically on the other right, side. Right, right, right. That's what I thought too. You're right. Took him forever. He never actually got into the tomb. No. He was, yeah. All right. I got a, a couple more. 
uh, her dad's beard looks fantastic for trimming with scissors <laughs> and a little shard of glass. <laughs> really great beard grooming. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a lot of time in his hands. So. <laughs> well, he did it that night while she was sleeping. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Because yeah, yeah. it was all out of control before that. If you were marooned on an island, would you even bother or would you just let it go crazy? Oh, it'd be so itchy. I think you get over it. The neck, so itchy. (laughs) I think it gets to a point where you just get over it. Yeah. It's just part of you then. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, Castaway. Yeah. Mm. Her gear up scene. I wasn't a fan of her gearing up scene. When someone gears up to go after the bad guys, look, all she does is grab bow and arrow and, and the quill of arrows and run out of the cave. And I'm like, come on, at least like grab a compass and like tuck a knife in your boot and like you got to have a couple, a rope, throw a rope around yourself. Like, <laughs> give me a good gear up scene. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. And then, uh, oh, I do have one more. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I really liked Nick Frost's comedic, comedic relief. He was good. The pawn shop is the pawn shop guy. Yeah. Maybe he could be part of the team. He cracked me up. He could be the, the, the guy who finds things. I don't know. He could be the guy that, the computer guy, I don't, the, the supply guy. You know, they go to him every movie to supply up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm out of quick fix, but I got to give a shout out to my wife because she nailed it. She goes, is her dad McNulty from The Wire? And I went, no, no. It's Luke Evans from the Hobbit movies. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's McNulty. Look it up. Sure enough, Dominic West played McNulty on the wire. I was like, holy shit, you nailed that. <laughs> but I, never, tell, I never watched the wire, but I heard it's good. Tell me Dominic West and Luke Evans don't look a little bit alike. They, right? they could totally play brothers in a movie. Yeah, they yeah. Do look alike. Yeah, I got to give credit to the wife. She nailed it. That does it for quick picks. Are you ready for the lesson this week? Sure. Lesson me. All right. This week, we're going to learn about the Devil's Sea, or is it sometimes known the Dragon's Triangle? This this is a thing. Like, it exists. It's known as the Pacific Bermuda Triangle. Uh, it's sometimes considered a paranormal location, though the veracity of these claims has been questioned. <laughs> so just like we have the Bermuda Triangle out there in the Caribbean, right, it seems like the Devil's Triangle... It seems like it like comes down from Tokyo and kind of reaches down towards Guam. Uh, it stays west of Guam, but it, it kind of reaches down towards the Philippines. And that this area is kind of known as the Devil's Triangle. Mm. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the currents there or what. but Maybe a lot of r- rocks sticking up out of the water, yeah. boulders and stuff. So there's there's all sorts of legends, all sorts of stories. It's been written about in pop culture. So yeah, the Devil's Triangle, Devil's Triangle, the Devil's Sea. It's a thing. However, if you were trying to get there, I don't know if I'm going to Hong Kong to rent a boat. Like I had to check out a map, but Hong Kong is <laughs> really far away. Pretty far away. Like you're much better off going to Taiwan or going to Japan to get out there or even the philippines like hong kong that'd be like trying to get to the caribbean and hiring a boat from new orleans like you're gonna get there yeah but you could just go to miami and save yourself the trouble or key west 
Yeah, I guess she's probably banking on really finding that same exact boat and that person. Well, why did her dad go there in the first place? I don't That's know. A, <laughs> right, maybe, maybe the legend of Himiko led him to Hong Kong first. Yeah. I don't know. There you go. Yeah, so that is our lesson this week. Uh, you ready for some trivia? Sure. I will tell you that Alicia Vikander put on a lot of muscle to play Lara because she wanted the character to be as realistic as possible and also did some of her own stunts. I will tell you about seven or eight of these trivia things on IMDb are about the fact that she put on muscle. <laughs> Walter Goggins said, Walton Goggins stated that she is just a real powerhouse. She made me embarrassed to take my shirt off and I go to the gym five days a week. <laughs> nice. Okay, apparently the plot is loosely based on the 2013 reboot of the video game series Tomb Raider. Okay. So, yeah, so it is, the plot was loosely based around that. And speaking of that, the plot of these Tomb Raider games, I'll have to, I got to tell you, both movie franchises have been about, like, her dad disappearing and, like, reconnecting with her dad. None of the video games are about that. Like, in the first video game... She, like, is in a plane crash in the Himalayas and has to journey back to civilization. I think that's the plot of, like, the first few games. Mm. And then there's something where her mom was also involved in the crash, and she needs to go discover the truth of what happened to her mom. Her mom is more involved in the video games than her dad ever is. So this this whole thing with her dad and reconnecting with her dad and being a daddy's girl, I, I don't know why this is added to both movies when it's not in the video games. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, oh, so I will tell you, in the in the rebooted continuity in 2013, there is a thing where her mom vanished and her dad becomes obsessed with finding the secrets of immortality and uh, eventually results in his apparent suicide. Mm. And Lara first distanced herself from her dad, uh, but then working as an archaeologist starts to rediscover some of these things. And I see. And Himoko is in that 2013 video game, so... And they did in that those opening credits, when he's narrating, he does say something about the mom. Yeah, yeah. after she, yeah after yeah. she passed. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, there is some interesting continuity there with the Lara Croft games, but yeah, the first ones, yeah, it seems to be more about her mom than uh, right. and and, be, and randomly being thrusted into this world by playing by her plane crashing than right. actually choosing this life, which she does seems to do in the movies. And then uh, my last bit of trivia, I will tell you that some names that were thrown around as frontrunners for playing Lara, Daisy Ridley, Amelia Clark, Cersei Ronan, and Cara Delevingne. She played Enchantress in the Suicide Squad movie. Mm. You might know Cersei Ronan from Lady Bird. Mm. Um, she's been in a lot of movies recently. Amelia Clark, obviously, from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And uh, Daisy Ridley, of course, from Star Wars. Right. Any of these actresses, or you think they nailed it with Alicia Vikander? I think they nailed it. I think Daisy Ridley might have been good, too. But I was pretty, pretty happy with Alicia. Yeah. I, I mean, Daisy Ridley already has an iconic her- heroine character that yeah. pretty much, it pretty much would have been the same, s- similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think Alicia Vikander. I would choose her over any of these other actresses for this. Yeah. For the yeah. physicality that this needs, I think she did a really great job. Yeah. All right, Darren. It is time for us to- Wait, s- wait. Oh, oh, Darren's got some trivia this week. Just one piece of trivia. 
producer of the Hitman films, Hitman is also movies that have been made based off of Hitman video game, said that he wants to create a whole universe around these games. So uh, Square Enix, who are the producers of these games, he wants to have them all exist in the same world. But he, <laughs> but he's like, but I don't really have any rights to Tomb Raider or any of the other ones. But so if anyone, else, if everyone else is on board, maybe we can do this. I mean, it makes everybody's trying to do a shared universe. Yeah, like it, right. it does make sense that a, a video game studio would be like, yeah. What if all our characters did exist in the same world? Yeah, like, well, we could probably, we could probably sell some seats at the box office for that. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's exactly what Lara Croft needs. Yeah, probably not. I think she's doing fine by herself. Just because it worked so goddamn well with Marvel doesn't mean everyone has to try it. All right, Darren, we've reached that point in the show where we have to decide once and for all if this is a good movie or it's a bad movie. What do you got this week for Tomb Raider? I said this is a good movie. I mostly based around Alicia Vikander doing a really, really great job, but... The story in general was good. It was entertaining. A lot of action. You know, you could have your debates about it being too video gamey at times and some con- continuity issues and things like that. But overall, I liked it. It's an entertaining movie. It kind of gave me some nostalgia for the first. I think I only played the first Tomb Raider back on like play, the first PlayStation. But, um, but yeah, this is a good movie. If you come across it, I would highly recommend watching it. I wasn't sure going into this podcast because I had just watched it this morning, so I hadn't sat on it for a while. But I think after talking about it with you, I think I'm going to agree it's a good movie. I watched the the second half of it with my wife, and I don't think once she felt like, is this just a video game movie? What are we watching here? Like, There was never anything like that. From, she was like, oh, cool, okay. Yeah, she's an archaeologist girl or whatever. She's, you know, tomb raiding. All right, I, I dig it. I'm in. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think the movie did a good job of, you know, letting the general audience just enjoy an action-adventure movie. And I think Alicia Vikander as Lara Croft has a chance to become a pretty cool character in cinema history. So I am interested to see where they would go with it. I think you could make a stronger movie. I think if they wanted to, if they follow my Fast and the Furious idea, <laughs> we'll be talking about, that's how they talk about the Fast and the Furious franchise. Like yeah. everyone goes, it didn't get good till Fast Five. <laughs> like Fast, the original like movie and then the sequel kind of have a little nostalgia to them, but nobody really can claim they're great movies. Yeah. But then everyone at like Fast Five, like, oh, it got really fun. Like we know it's <laughs> dumb, but it's fun. I think this could if they do the if they do the right things with the sequels, I think this could fall into that same vein where you're like no one's going to say the the original Tomb Raider is a great movie, but it's fun and the rest of the franchise is really great and Alicia Vikander is really great. So, it's going down as a good movie for me and I I'm very curious to see where it grows. Cool. All right, Darren, that does it for our review of 2018's Tomb Raider. Coming up next week, we uh, there, there were some things in theaters, but we, uh, we wanted to get away from the box office a little bit this week because there are tons of movies celebrating anniversaries this year. 
And we're gonna you're gonna see some of these as the 2020 goes on. But the movie we chose this week, celebrating its 20 year anniversary, is 2000's Scary Movie, which scores a 6.2 on IMDb and a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't think I've seen this since high school. <laughs> Same. And it's going to lead us down a really interesting conversation about spoof movies because, I mean, they've been doing spoof movies forever. But this definitely created a wave of spoof movies in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have an interesting conversation, I think, next week. I know you remember Scary Movie from when you were in high school or when you were a kid or when you were whatever. And it's available on Netflix. So if you want to check it out, go watch it on Netflix and come back and join us next week as we debate and discuss and talk about and and nitpick scary movie. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you are listening on. You can follow us on Twitter and know meh movies. I just tweeted out my thoughts on uh, the Birds of Prey Harley Quinn movie, which I got to see last night. So go check us out at No Meh Movies. You can also follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Thanks for supporting the show. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance and tell them if the movie is good or bad. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. <laughs>